It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. How well, <clears throat> uh, I know this is the last day of the summit, <clears throat> but uh, want in this session, and then I think at least in the next one, maybe we'll see how far this goes. Uh, but at least in the next couple of sessions, I want to look at a particular concept uh, with y'all. And uh, it actually just comes out of a book that I read, I don't know, a couple months ago in preparation for all this. And I, I really loved the title of the book, and I loved the, the basic concept. Uh, but let me just go back to our idolatry statement, uh, just so it's in front of us. But this is at least how, this is my placeholder, how I've been defining idolatry. Uh, but idolatry is looking to anyone or anything besides Jesus to meet my needs. So this could be good things, this could be bad things, this could be religious things, this could be sinful things. Anything that I turn to to satisfy some deep desire or craving or need in my life that's outside of Jesus, that becomes idolatry. <clears throat> uh, so what I want to do is, and this is, this is abnormal on so many levels. I don't actually like doing this. Uh, one, I don't necessarily like recommending modern books. Uh, one, because the authors are still alive. That sounds horrible. But there's something about, you know, when someone dies, it's like their legacy has closed and they can't go weird. Uh, and we've had a lot of authors in the last couple of years who, who I probably would have said, yes, they had some great books. And then they get weird. And then it's like, well, are the books no longer valid? That's, that's, that's such a weird wrestling it's like, well, no, the book is really good, but don't look at their life because their life is miserable and horrible, and I don't agree with what they're doing, but the book is good. But it's almost like their life and their lack of integrity or the fact that they've gone down a slippery slope or they've forsaken Christ or whatever it is that they're doing, it seems like in one, in one dimension, it like nullifies what they've previously done. So it's really hard then to recommend modern books because I don't, where are they going to end up in 10 years? And I have great hopes that we can endure and we can finish the race well. That being said, uh, I typically recommend dead people books. Uh, sounds horrible. Snuggle Buddies is a far better statement, uh, though our poor audience now probably has no idea what that means. But uh, it's like the dead guys <laughs> that I love. And um, all that we said is I, I do want to bring up a modern book. Uh, and I know that even in this idolatry thing with some of the idolatry definitions, I gave some modern books where their authors are still alive. Um, but I want to look at this book called Sipping Saltwater. It's by Steve Hope, and I, I love the, the subtitle. It's How to Find Lasting Satisfaction in a World of Thirst. Now, let me just give a blanket statement before we even get into this, because this is part of my nervousness in this. With any book, Christian or not, you as a believer need to be discerning. Is that a fair statement? In other words, just because it has the label Christian on it does not mean you should imbibe and just take in everything in that book. Uh, I used to work in a Christian bookstore, and for whatever reason, I had the same thought, and, and Eric has brought this up so many times in the past too, but there, there, is not a, there is not a group of scholars or theologians or people who love Jesus who read the books that are coming out saying, hmm, that's, that's a good one, we'll put it in Christian bookstores. No, that, that one should not be published. In other words, the publishing game is for money, and so whatever sells, they publish, typically. There, there are still some good publishers like CLC and Crossway and some of those kind of things. I, and I do appreciate that they do have standards. Praise the Lord. <laughs> However, that being said, 
most publishing companies are being bought out by the secular things, and they're just in it for the money. And so as you walk into a Christian bookstore, which I, I don't even know the last time I've done that, but when you get on Amazon or wherever you go to buy your, buy your books, you just can't presume that because it's labeled Christian or it has the name Jesus on it, that is actually good theology. Does that, that should make sense, at least to this crowd. And so if I can just encourage y'all, plus everyone who's listening, uh, just because a book is recommended does not mean everything in it may be phenomenal. Uh, there's a few things in this book that I'm like, ah, I, I don't like, like, I don't like chapter six, you know, like in this book. Uh, there's a few things he says, I'm like, ah, I, I, I know what he means by it, but I, I just, so just realize you need to be discerning. And just because I'm going to be reading from this book, I'm not wholeheartedly endorsing it. Is that enough caveat to uh, be able to step forward in all this? <laughs> but I love this title, Sipping Salt Water. And it really drew me just, one, just because of the title. But as I began to, I listened to the audiobook, uh, and I, the guy who reads the audiobook is one of my favorite narrators, uh, Adam Werner. And uh, just listening through it and then going back through it and actually reading it in the text has been actually a neat blessing because the way he articulates idolatry is very unique, and I love the imagery. And so if you will permit me, uh, what I want to do is actually want to read a few sections from this book. And so, again, one, I'm going through a modern book. I'm going to be reading a large section of this, not a large section of the book, but a large section of this, uh, this particular session. I just want to be reading this book because I think the way that he articulates it is just profound. And I think it gives a great metaphor, a great picture for us to ponder this idea of idolatry. Does that make sense where we're heading? So let's just jump into this. I just want to read a few segments uh, from this book and then kind of give a thought at the end here. So at the very beginning, he talks about Louis Zamberini. And if you, there was a movie about him some years ago, uh, but basically he was a World War II guy. He was in the plane. The plane went down uh, in the ocean. He was, uh, had to survive on a little raft for, it was like almost 50 days got captured by the Japanese, horrible torture, uh, just some craziness. And he talks about the fact that here is this Olympic athlete who's now in a battle, gets shot down, is in the middle of an entire ocean. So he is surrounded by water, but yet he has a desperate, passionate need, which is water. Which is interesting because he's surrounded by the water, and yet he needs water. And interestingly, this is such a great picture for our, our spiritual lives. And so this is what uh, the author says. Speaking of Louis Zamberini, he says, the greatest threat to his survival came from within, thirst. Thirst? How could this be? All he could see in every direction was water. Cool, crisp, clean, or clear water. It looked like drinking water, felt like drinking water, and even sounded like drinking water. How could thirst be an issue? Louis was surrounded by 64 million square miles of salt water, and yet he couldn't take a sip. What would have happened if Louis drank the surrounding sea? Well, first, the salt water would have dried out his insides and left him thirstier than before. Second, he would have experienced the worst hangover of his life. He would have suffered exposure, diarrhea, pounding headache, muscle cramps, dizziness, a dry mouth, vomiting, increased blood pressure, a rapid heart rate, kidney failure, hallucinations, and seizures. Which, that is quite the list. You've got to admit, that sounds miserable. Uh, the author goes on and says, <clears throat> if he kept drinking... He would have fallen into a coma, experienced massive organ failure, and sustained irreparable brain damage. Eventually, drinking salt water would have killed him. So isn't this a weird thought? Here's a man who's lost in the middle of the ocean, surrounded by water, and yet he can't drink it. And the moment he begins to drink it, though he doesn't die instantly, it is 
a guaranteed death if he continues to, to sip on it. So, listen to this thought. Speaking of our lives, unlike Louis, we do drink salt water. Some people gulp it down, but most of us take tiny sips without realizing it. In our nagging state of thirst for paradise lost, uh, and he fleshes that out earlier, but this idea that we all, within all of us, we're longing for this perfection in paradise that is found in Christ. But he says that in this nagging state of thirst for paradise lost, what do we drink? Salt water. We consume things that look and feel and sound like they can quench our thirst. They promised unmatched pleasure. They promote limitless comfort and joy and strength and peace and excitement. They vow to remove our fears, tears, worries, guilt, and shame. They pledge to fill the void in our hearts and soothe our aching souls. They promise paradise, but they can't deliver. We drink them, but our thirst remains unquenched. In fact, we're left thirstier. And we experience devastating hangovers, negative spiritual, emotional, physical, and relational consequences as a result. No, the salt water doesn't come from the ocean. It comes in a variety of forms from the world around us and our hearts within. It comes in the form of money, sex, control, or comfort. It comes in the form of busyness, people, food, or works. It can come in the form of anything. Even though we're thirsty for paradise lost, we drink salt water instead in a million different forms. I don't know about you, but that actually makes a lot of sense to me. It's like we are so craving in our spiritual souls something more. We're, we're looking for satisfaction. We're looking for peace. We're looking for comfort. We're, we're looking for solid relationships. So what do we begin to do? We actually don't look for the comfort and the satisfaction and the joy where it is in totality found. And instead, we, we turn to a substitute and we start to sip on a substitute. And in so doing, we're actually never satisfied. What we actually discover is that we're actually more thirsty. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but there's something amazing about idolatry that idolatry never satisfies. Uh, for example, you look, you look at a druggie. Do you realize that when they're, when they're taking heroin or they're taking opium or marijuana or whatever they may be, may be using, the thought is, this, this is going to be the time that I'm satisfied. This is going to be it that is just, oh, this is what I really wanted. And yet they keep having to go back for more and more. You, you talk to an alcoholic, why is it that they're always going to more and more and more? It's because it just doesn't satisfy. Uh, when, when I mentor young guys, it's, it's interesting in the area of lust, you, you realize that it starts as a mental thing, but then that eventually doesn't satisfy. And so you start to turn to, you know, just pictures. It's not horrible pictures. It's just you start looking at, you know, the, the swimsuit catalog kind of stuff. But that becomes such an enticement. But eventually that doesn't satisfy. And then, you know, and then it goes into, and then it goes into, and then it goes into, and eventually they're so lost in a twisted perversion that is so dark. Why? Because it never satisfies. Idolatry is salt water, and we sip upon it, thinking it will satisfy the depth of our thirst, and yet it never truly satisfies. What if we had realized that it's not just the hardcore junk that people are looking at is the issue, it's everything along that trajectory, including the swimsuit magazines, including the catalogs, including the lust just in your mind. All of it is sipping on something that will never fully satisfy, give pleasure, or, or uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, satisfy is probably the best term. That, that deep longing in our souls. 
We have the longing. All of us do. But it's for Jesus. And when we stop and we ponder this, it's irrational why we would turn to a substitute. It actually does not make any sense to me. And yet, we all do it to some degree. So, the author goes on and says this. It's easy to conclude that salt water is inherently evil. But is it? So, pause there. Think about this. It would be really easy to look at salt water and be like, all right, salt water is horrible and evil. But is salt water actually bad? And this is what was a weird tension in the book for me as I'm processing going, well, yes, we need to throw out all salt water. But salt water actually can be good. Now, here's the issue. If you define salt water as idolatry, then salt water is bad. But you, I'm going to start muddling this. Let me just read the quote. That might solve my problem instead of trying to explain before I read it. So here's, here's what the author says. It's easy to conclude that salt water is inherently evil, but is it? No. Let's look, first look, at the literal salt water that surrounded Louis Zamperini. In many ways, the 187 quintillion gallon Pacific Ocean was a friend to him. It provided a relative soft landing for him. It disinfected his scrapes and sores and blisters. It reduced the swelling in his badly bruised legs and cooled his sunburnt skin. It even housed the fish he caught and ate. And for those of us who aren't stranded in the middle of the ocean, it can also be beneficial. Salt water can be used to soften our skin, store our contact lenses, and fill our pools. It can help cure athlete's foot, laryngitis, eczema, sore throats, and toothaches. At the very least, it can be a thing of beauty, as shown by elevated real estate prices for ocean view properties. In the same way, the metaphorical salt water that I'm describing isn't inherently evil. Money isn't evil. Sex isn't evil. Control, comfort, busyness, food, uh, people, works, they aren't evil. When used and enjoyed for its intended purpose, appreciated as God's design appreciated as God designed it to be appreciated, salt water is a very good thing. We just weren't meant to drink it. Isn't that an interesting thought? Now, there are some things that are always idols. I get that. And you should never participate in. I get that. But most of the time, the things that we're actually coming to as our substitute in and of themselves are not evil. They're not bad. Relationships are good. You need money. And if you don't, come talk to me. I'll take yours. You know, it's like, you know if you don't want it, I'll, I'll use it. But hey, we need money to function in this culture. Is it wrong to have a nice, comfortable pillow at night as you sleep? I don't, I don't think so. I want a nice, comfortable pillow when I fall asleep at night. I, I want a fan blowing on me as I sleep. I'm thinking about last night, apparently. <laughs> you know, is, is, it, is sexuality bad? No, it's good. God made, God made it. And yet, the problem is, is that we're not using it as they're intended. We're not using it as a gift. We have turned the gift into a God. And as such, we are sipping on the very thing that we're not meant to drink. And I think that's a great picture of what our culture is doing. That God has given us all these wonderful gifts and all of these things that we get to enjoy, and yet rather than enjoy them as a gift, we have consumed them as a God. And we are sipping salt water. So Steve Hope goes on and says, how do we become addicted to salt water? He calls it the salt water cycle. It consists of three steps, repeats itself endlessly and eventually leads to hell, both in this life and the life to come. So here is his salt water cycle. Number one, we listen to a lie. Number two, we drink that lie. And then number three, we suffer 
from that lie. And then because we suffer, we decide to listen to the lie again and keep on drinking. And it's this endless cycle where we just consistently consume more and more and more. So let me just use his language to describe these three pieces. So number one is we listen to a lie. So this is what he says. He says the first step in the saltwater cycle is somewhat passive. We listen to a lie. The lie is that saltwater can quench our thirst for paradise. Who spreads it? Well, the liars are threefold, our world, the flesh, and the devil. And he fleshes all this out if you want to read the book. But he basically says, do you realize the whole world, its system, the enemy, and even the insides, our selfish nature, are bent against us, telling us, you know what, sip, just sip the stuff. Just sip the salt water. And the moment we listen to the lie, it's really easy to start drinking of it. And so step number two, then, is we actually drink it. So after listening to the lie that salt water can give us paradise, we have two options. Option one is to reject the lie and pour it out. The second option is to believe the lie and drink. Most of us choose option two. But what does this mean? What does it mean to drink salt water? First, I, define it, first, I must define two terms, gift and God. How do you know if something is a God in your life? And there was, just as I explained this idea that God has given us these gifts, we've turned into a God, this, this is what he says. How do you know if something is a God in your life? Ask yourself a series of test questions. This is a great list, by the way. What do you adore way too much? What do you obsess about? What do you fantasize about? What are you terrified of losing? What do you need with a capital N? What do you spend way too much time doing? What is your go-to escape in the middle of suffering? In times of silence, where does your mind naturally gravitate? What gives you meaning and purpose? What gives your life security? Where do you put your trust when life is scary? What do you dwell upon? How do you find inner peace? How do you spend, oh, sorry, what do you spend way too much money on? What defines you? What do you worship? That is your God. Ironically, perhaps the greatest indicator of a God in your life is hatred in your heart towards something else. I thought this was a great insight. In other words, when you're demonizing something, it typically means you're idolizing its counterpart. For example, the woman with judgment in her heart toward obese people is likely worshiping the gods of fitness, beauty, discipline, and self-control. A man who looks down on minimum wage workers is likely worshiping the gods of power, achievement, and professional advancement. A toddler who resents his friend with a shiny new tricycle is likely worshiping the god of material possessions. Yes, it does start this early. If we're demonizing something, we're usually idolizing something else. Drinking salt water means turning a gift from God into a god, lowercase g. Drinking salt water is what the Bible calls idolatry. So it's not that salt water is bad. Most of what we drink is a gift, and yet we're never intended to drink it. And the moment we, we begin to drink it, we actually die. It is a quick, slippery slope into consuming more and more and more, and eventually we're guzzling the salt water, and it will kill us. He goes on and says this, So why is the title of this book Sipping Salt Water? Why not Drinking Salt Water? Because our idolatry is usually subtle. We're not typically guzzling, pounding, inhaling, or slamming down salt water. We're often not even drinking it in a general sense of the word drink. We're usually sipping it. We're taking slow, subtle, quiet, gentle, and measured tastes. We're placing it to our lips and allowing small amounts to enter our mouths. We're savoring it and slowly swallowing. Sometimes we're sipping it subconsciously. 
We don't even realize we're doing it. But God sees our sips, our tiny little sips, every single one. And he takes every sip very seriously. So we buy the lie, we drink the salt water, and then number three, we, we suffer. So this is what Steve Hope says. He says, not only do these gods fail to deliver on their promise to hydrate our souls, they leave us thirstier than we were before with biting hangovers as a result. We feel guilt, shame, anger, fear, sadness, grief, hopelessness, sorrow, distress, dejection, and gloom. Our hearts hurt. Our emotions tumble. We ache on the inside. Our relationships suffer on the outside. We suffer spiritual pain, soul pain. How do we respond? Like an alcoholic with a deliberating hangover, we promise ourselves we'll never drink again. But just as alcohol hangovers eventually wear off, so do our saltwater hangovers. The soul pain loses its edge as time passes. The guilt and the shame diminish. The internal ache subsides. The agony dissipates. And we find ourselves thirsty once again. Thirstier. And the cycle repeats. Have you ever been there? That, that is such a great way to articulate what's going on in our culture today. That what people are consuming it's like, well, it's not that bad. I mean, it's a gift of the Lord. Yeah, but what you've turned it into is something to sip upon. And as a culture, we are, we are imbibing all of this seemingly harmless, for the most part, stuff, and yet we're drowning. And yes, there are certain things that we should never touch. I get that. And there's a lot of idolatry that actually is very evil and, and very twisted. I, I get that. But in the church, most of our problem is not the evil degrading horrible stuff it is there in in aspects but most of the stuff that we're dealing with in our own hearts is this kind of stuff that's that's so convicting okay maybe i'm the only one but that's convicting steve hope says this we listen to the same lies from the from the world the flesh and the devil we again believe the lies we sip more salt water usually in greater quantity to satisfy our, our intensified thirst. We become more spiritually dehydrated. We experience worse soul pain, it, and it wears off. We're more parched than ever, and the saltwater cycle starts over. Pretty soon, we're no longer sipping. We're gulping. And with every trip through the saltwater cycle, our gulps become deeper and more frequent. Our tolerance to saltwater grows. Our withdrawal symptoms worsen. And after enough saltwater cycles, we need saltwater just to feel normal and then we're officially addicted what he ends up doing which i've been pondering this idea of taking he has this great concept the second half of the book and my thought is to maybe flesh some of that out in the next the next episode because i actually like the way that he defines how we approach these seemingly good gifts of the lord and there's three ways we can approach them and I'm, it's a placeholder right now but i'm pondering doing that next time but all that being said, can I, can I talk about the solution? I think so many times we, whether we realize it or not, are sipping salt water. And, and maybe at first we're enjoying it as a gift to the Lord, but eventually it kind of starts to consume us, and so we start to turn to it. And, for example, money. Mo money is actually a good thing. We need money to function. But it's really easy with money where, you know, you have enough to function and you start giving money away, but then you start wanting certain things and so you start hoarding things and then you start to be consumed and you start to 
and eventually you start sipping, 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 gulping, gulping, drowning. Do you know what the solution is if we're sipping salt water? Stop. <laughs> That'd be a great, it's a great first step. Stop consuming the salt water. And what if we started drinking living water? What if we actually said, Lord, what I actually need, that the thing that I actually need to satisfy the depth of my being, the very thing that, that I'm longing for deep within me, the very thing that my body is actually craving is not just, it's not salt water, it's life water. I mentioned this, this passage at the very beginning of this series uh, in the very first episode, but I want to come back to this. I think this is such a neat idea. Jeremiah 2.13 Jeremiah says, For my people have done two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that hold no water. And if you want to go back, we, we, we talked about that in depth. But God is speaking through Jeremiah. And he says, look, you have done two evils. Here I am. I'm giving you everything you need for life and godliness. I am a fountain of living water. The water will never run out. It is fresh, it is clean, it is new, it is perfectly cool. I mean, this is, it's refreshing. You need this water. And what have the people of God done? They turn to God and say, thank you, that's wonderful. Appreciate that offer, uh, but no thanks. Rather than take you up on your living water, by the sweat of my own brow, I'm going to dig out a cistern. And a cistern, if you remember, if you, were, if you listened to the first episode, were often these, you know, caves they're often there some of them are massive 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 holding hundreds of thousands of gallons millions of gallons but you know typically for a town you know you'd have a pretty good size cistern and then you'd have to plaster it with this lime coating so that the the water wouldn't escape but here's the problem god says you've you've wasted you've wasted your water the sweat of your brow to dig out a cistern so you're wasting water and then you try to fill that up with rainwater and it becomes scummy, and it's, it's, it's actually nasty water. And in the end, you have cracks in your plaster, which means you're losing water. God's like, that makes no sense. Here you are, sweating out water in your own effort, in your own ability, in your own independence, trying to create a place for water, and yet right next to you is the fountain of living waters. And we do the exact same thing. That rather than gulp down the reality of Christ rather than drink freely from his fountain of living waters, what do we do? We try to do it ourselves. We try to satisfy ourselves. We try to create our own peace and joy and life and whatever, and yet this never satisfies. This only ever brings death. To mix the metaphors, it's salt water. And yet a fountain of living waters is available to us that we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. As, as 2 Peter 1.3 says, everything you need for life and godliness is found in Jesus. So why would you turn to anything else? And I know we know that. Intellectually, we, we yes, amen, I get that. But can I ask you, what are you actually drinking from? Are, are you sipping salt water? Are you, out of your own effort, out of your own ability, trying to produce water? yourself or are you gulping down living water it's interesting jesus in the middle of his ministry decides one day to go up through samaria which a good jew would not do 
And it's the middle of the afternoon, it seems like, and so he sits down at the well and sends the disciples into town to get some food, and this Samaritan woman comes out. And a good Jew does not talk to Samaritans, especially women, and this woman has serious problems. She has been sipping salt water. She's been drowning in salt water. And Jesus makes an interesting statement to the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. He says this, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him. And he, get this, would have given you living water. Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. Speaking of the well that she's pulling up water. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst, ever but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. We need that. And for most of us, we, like the Samaritan woman, have been gulping down huge amounts of salt water. And what we've actually realized is that our spiritual lives are dry and empty and stale. And Is it possible that the solution for the staleness of our souls is it possible the solution for the drift that we've had in our, in our lives away from Jesus is just to start drinking the living water? To start swimming and delighting ourselves and being like a little kid and jumping in the puddles of the living water and just splashing around and drinking this thing up and just consuming ourselves with living water? Can I encourage all of us? Would we allow Jesus through his Spirit to put his finger on any salt water sipping that we've been doing. And it may seem innocent because it's like, well, it's not that big of a deal. It's just, it's just a little sip. But the little sip makes you thirstier, which makes you thirstier, which makes you thirstier. And eventually you find yourself just depleted and spiritually dry. Could we all just freshly come to Jesus in repentance and just say, Lord, I need to repent of my sipping of salt water and what you have given as a gift, I have turned into a lowercase g God. And Lord, I, I need to come to you and I need to start guzzling living water. Because the only way you're going to get the salt water out of your system is you have to flush it with the living stuff. It is our only option. Would you freshly embrace Jesus? Let's pray. Oh Lord, I don't, maybe this is just for me, but this metaphor, this picture is so helpful. Because I think it's so easy to justify idolatry in our lives with saying, well, it's not that big of a deal. Well, it, it's not evil in and of itself, it's just this one little thing. But Lord, you are asking, desiring an exclusive devotion between us and you that you do not want us to be seeking after other lovers of our souls. You don't want us to be messing around with the idols of the culture. And even the good things that you've given to us as gifts can so quickly, so easily become idols in our lives. So Lord, would you, would you put your finger lovingly but forcefully if necessary on any salt water sipping? Lord, Lord, could we come in repentance and find ourselves at the foot of the cross and, and ask that you would so refresh and restore our souls. And what we need is 
yes, to stop sipping the salt water, but what we need to start doing is guzzling the living water. So Lord, may we drink of You and Your promise is still here that You are offering living water. That You are a fountain of living waters. And so Lord, I just pray that as we as we go about our day, as we go about this next season in our lives, Lord, I pray that, that we would not look for anything to satisfy us, to comfort us, bring us peace or joy that is outside of You. And that we would see the gifts of relationships and the gifts of of the things around us truly as gifts and not turn them into gods. Lord, may you receive all the glory, honor, and praise out of our lives. May you be the focus and the delight of our souls. May you be the consumption and the passion of our being. And Lord, let us drink long and hard and continually at the fountain of living waters, which is you. Lord, we need you. Thank you that you've made this available to us. That we don't have to go seeking the water. You've made it readily available to each of us. So Lord, we just praise you. We thank you. We love you. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening.